this week on the Divided Opinion podcast. Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about the Champions League, the group stage. Obviously, that's come to an end now. We'll get. Well, should we just get straight into it? Wes? Yeah, let's go. There was no doubt about it when he played at West Ham. Every time I watched him, I was never impressed with him. I thought he looked. Re- I thought he looked quite poor. Was wasn't surprised when they sold him, and I was also surprised at the amount of money they got for him. I think twenty five million. But if it, if, it, if it was me, I'd drop Neymar. I'd maybe bring in a, a Di Maria or who else is there, like a, a, another Herrera or someone like that that you know is going to put the miles in and is going to do a job. It's a collective and there probably hasn't really been, if you look at over the last couple of seasons and the success they had last season, there wasn't really that one standout player, was there? Hello and welcome back to season two, episode 16 of the Divided Opinion podcast. My name is Joel, and as always, Westy joins me. How are we, Westy? Yeah. Had a few technical issues, aren't we, today? Yeah, it never gets any easier, but. No, it's the ugly side of, of podcasting. Yeah. The side they don't tell you about. Exactly. Um, yeah, so today we're going to be talking about the Champions League, the group stage. Obviously, that's come to an end now, finished last night. Um, so yeah, we're just going to take you guys through each group from A to F, is it? A to H. Wow. We'll get. We'll, should we just get straight into it, West? Yeah, let's go. Nice one. Right. So Group A, we had Manchester City, PSG, Leipzig, and Bruges, and that is the order in which they finished. Obviously, in the final group stage matches, was Leipzig against City. PSG versus Bruges. I want to talk a bit about the City game first off. Obviously, you lost 2 1 to, to Leipzig. Not that it meant anything. They still qualified top of the group, even though PSG beat Bruges 4 1. But the main talking point, really, that came out of that City game was obviously they were gar- guaranteed top spot, yet they still played a strong first 11, including the likes of De Bruyne, Carl Walker, who was sent off. Phil Foden went off injured, likes of Mares Gundogan. That is this something we're seeing with Pep? Where is it? Is it like he, he doesn't want to disrespect the opposition? Does he not want to disrespect the competition? Because to me, it seems ridiculous playing them players. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's certainly an element of that. Um, obviously, you could plenty would argue that it's it's a perfect opportunity to sort of do what do what United yeah. did last night and play a lot of the academy players and give them their debuts and and their first opportunity and sort of taste of first team football, European football. But um I don't think Pep's ever really been that style of manager as he he sort of blends in the the odd one or two, like I think we saw Cole Palmer and and that was about it really. Yeah. That's where he sort of draws the line. He will never sort of apart from little Carabao Cup games, he never really throws in a whole bunch of young players straight into the firing line and but I suppose for him as well like yes like you say City have already won the group and there's a lot of stuff riding on the line for other teams in that group still sort of Leipzig still had to 
to secure their Europa League spot. I think Bruges it's almost he just doesn't want to disrespect. Well. So I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is because really we see it as well. And I know it's, it's, it's hard it for City to field a weakened squad. Well, how you'd say it, the, the, the level, their easy. second team is better than most teams' first yeah. team. But when you look at the players playing, you got like, obviously I understand Jack Grealish is playing. It's good for him to get some form back, which I'm not sure if he did. Riyad Mahrez got himself a goal. De Bruyne's coming back from, from injury, I think. Likes of Ake, Stones, they need game time. But if you look onto their bench, you've got CJ Egan Riley, Josh Wilson Esbrand, Romeo Lavia, James McAtee, all young players that were taken. You think they maybe could have got 10, 20 minutes or maybe even started. Cole Palmer came on with three minutes to go. It just seems strange to me from Pep. And you obviously look at it now, you've got Carl Walker, red card. Did you see the, the red card? just petulant it was just so disappointing yeah. mean, we've spoke about Carl Walker yeah. quite um, quite punishingly about Carl Walker and yeah, did, yeah. What, just... maybe what we think he lacks in his game but you think regardless of technical ability or anything like that he's a he's an old player now an experienced player and to what we just kind of went down the back of Andre Silva's Achilles wasn't it it was just and that they'll be without him for for the next round, which is Pep can't be happy about that. He can't be happy about that. And obviously yeah, Foden going off injured as well. It just seems him, seems strange to me from Pep. Yeah. So obviously moving on to the other game in the group, Paris Saint Paris Saint Germain beating Club Bruges four one. It was there was some nice goals on the show. PSG they looked looked comfortable as you'd expect against a side like Bruges who. I think I've I've looked pretty solid this this campaign, but yeah, Messi scoring one of his his one of his goals that's synonymous with him coming off the right, that that curling curling I don't even know what you describe it as just that curling effort into the corner. How many times have we seen him do that? Yeah. And Mbappe an outrageous volley as well. PSG, have you been impressed with PSG so far? On the whole, I'd, I'd say yeah. I mean, I'm not. I've never really been overly impressed with just their sort of their style of play and with all mm. the talent on show that they've got and Pochettino's got in his hands he never really seems to get them playing as a sort of like a cohesive group all sort of entwine but the main thing is that they they most of the time will grind out results and that's the sign of a winning team um, obviously there's always been that that sort of tag with them where they sort of fall at the yeah. final hurdle with when they meet a bigger team and obviously we saw they got they got beat quite even though it was only 2-1 against City in the last game I thought City beat them quite comfortably um, but yeah on the whole they, they do get the job done most of the time and you would expect that with what they've got in their team but I'm impressed but I've, I think there's still a lot of room for improvement there at PSG in terms of just getting them all Sort of playing to the to a higher level because they've all got so much more potential and so much more to give. I think in that team and maybe in the knockout rounds this year we'll we'll see them take it to a new level. But going on past history, you wouldn't be too confident, would you? That's why I just can't see PSG going on to win the Champions League. I think they can do well, and well maybe they can, maybe they can, maybe Poch can find the right ingredients to do that. They have got players behind that. They have got a spine to their team now which I think they did lack for so long. They've got the likes of Verratti, Wijnaldum, Gay, robust players that will put the miles in 
that Mbappe, Neymar and Messi won't. But just going forward, I'm not confident for PSG at all, if I'm honest. And no. I mean, yeah. it sounds ridiculous because the players that they've got, they should definitely be in the running. And, and they are. They are in the running. But yeah. when you just look at the teams that are, are going to be fighting for that Champions League and we'll, we'll, we'll get on to the likes of Liverpool's, the Chelsea's, the, even the Man City's, we know how well-drilled they are. And each player goes out there knowing they've got a role. And if they don't commit to that role, they won't be on the pitch. And I just could you see Maurizio Pochettino ever dropping one of Mbappe, Neymar, or Messi? No, not not in a million years. I mean, you just—it's almost political, isn't it? It's almost like it would cause too much of a, a stir. Yeah, it—it would just be a prime example of the way we are in today's sort of modern football, modern world. Player power has so much more of a, more of a sort of, uh, grip on the club rather than the manager. Mm. And you'll often find that players will often side with their teammates over a manager nowadays, whether they think they're right or wrong. So you, I don't think we'll ever see that. I think the only times these sort of players will miss out is maybe through in, either through injury or or maybe a, a, a deadbeat sort of French cup game where they don't need to play. And But there's no chance for any of these sort of big games coming up in the Champions League that Poch, whether he thinks it will help his team as a whole, as a as a unit or not, he would never take that decision because it would cause far too much of a rift in the camp. Yeah, I mean, when I do look at that, I, I mean, I'm interested to know your point of view, but I, when I look at that front three of Mbappe, Messi and Neymar, I think Neymar is the expendable one of the three. And if it, if it was my personal opinion, and I completely understand that, that Poch can't drop Neymar, and just the 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 power he has and the the amount they're paying him, they can't afford to have him on the bench. But if 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 it was me, I'd drop Neymar. I'd maybe bring in a a Di Maria or who else is there, like a, a another Herrera or someone like that that you know is going to put the miles in and is going to do a job. And that's at the end of the day, it's what you need. Yeah. You can't have these teams full of full of players like Messi, Neymar and Mbappe, as much as we love watching it as a spectator and you might enjoy playing with them on FIFA, it's just, we've seen that even you go back, back in the day, if you look at that Manchester United team, and I hate to go back to Man United, but it was kind of the, the team I watched when I was growing up, but that Man United team of the 2008, those teams, even when you look at the Barcelonas, those kind of teams, they had the players that were going to put the miles in. When Cristiano Ronaldo used to play in that Man United team, there were players around him that would put the work in. And PSG, they, I just don't think you can afford to have three players that are, are idle in their defending. No, it's if the way football's evolved and the level that sort of they're, they're they're competing at. You'll get away with it against teams like Bruges and Leipzig sometimes, and in, especially in domestic league. And that's why they probably feel so comfortable in what they're doing because they know that. 90% of the games they play in this season they'll be allowed to do that and other players will have the quality to bail them out but when they come up against teams in the knockout stages the likes of City, Chelsea, Bayern Munich Real Madrid they need a full 11 their full 11 functioning together and working hard and you can't be attacking with 11 players and then defending with 7 it just it's just not sustainable and that's the reason that is the sole reason why we've never seen PSG really make that well, get over that final hurdle in the Champions League. Mm. I just think as well when going back to like when Poch was at Spurs, 
there was when we were going through that period of where Spurs were in the running for titles, they were in the running for Champions League consistently. They had the likes of Kane firing, obviously Ali. They always used to be a theme of Poch's games when he came up against the big sides is that he'd play really pragmatic and sitting in and he'd almost restrict his players in his setup and and almost kind of subside to bigger teams. Whereas I think if if PSG were going to be successful, they'd have to just go after teams. They'd have to just get on the front foot and maybe concede a few goals but rely on the fact that they're going to score more than the opposition. I far too often see it with Poch's sides where they almost just t- seem to t- just roll over for these for these bigger sides and it it disappoints me because when you look at PSG and obviously that Spurs team of old you, you go into a game thinking oh this is going to be a really well contested game and then they end up just sitting in and it costs them and I understand they're obviously going to rely on moments aren't they this team they're not going to yeah. be you can't press with Mbappe, Neymar and Messi, it just wouldn't work. So we'll move on to Group B now. And it features, probably annoyingly for you, the the most impressive team so far in this Champions League, Liverpool. Obviously qualified top, um, 100% record, the first ever English side to do it. You've been impressed with with Liverpool. And I think the most satisfying thing for Klopp in that game against Milan away from home they obviously came back from behind to win 2-1 but and I know it's been something they've been criticised for before and I I put a post up about it yesterday if you guys want to check it out at Divided Opinion but yeah do you think Liverpool could be a a contender this season? Yeah yeah, majorly impressed Um, and their depth isn't really a I think in the Champions League depth isn't really as important as domestically um, I think they've shown that before when they won it a couple of years ago and they got to the final the previous year. Um, yeah, as long as you've got a a really strong sort of core starting twelve or thirteen, so to speak, I think I think I think they've they look like they've got to be the favourites at the moment. I mean, they've just got this sort of really really impressive knack of just grinding they just grind out results whenever and wherever they play and like you saw at Wolves at the weekend. It didn't look like they were going to break them down at all. And then, you know, people like Divock Origi can step in. I mean, they've really got that great balance of starting players like Salah, Mane, Firminos that will do the job week in, week out. And then sometimes maybe when they're not firing as much as the clock would like them to be, he can chuck someone like Origi on and it will save them. And they've just got a really, I think it's more in their sort of personality and the way they sort of, that sort of impact they have on teams, it's like a, it's like a superiority complex now, isn't it? Where teams just expect Liverpool to grind them down and beat them in the end, and it's such a key sort of element to have to your game. And, and I, I think as well, I think it goes through the entire team. And yeah. it's, what impresses me so much with Klopp is that he 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 breathes that confidence into the players, and you see these players that aren't first team players and they probably never will be for Liverpool but the likes of Simakas even Minamino Origi Oxlade-Chamberlain you see when they come in they want to play for Klopp and they play with confidence and it's just so impressive that must just be a man management and I think it's, it's no secret is it that man management is where Klopp probably is is the most impressive where there's so much to choose from with Klopp but 
he just gets them players playing for him. Those players will die on that pitch for Klopp. And it just impresses me. He just gets he gets that next level out of players that you just didn't think they had, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, Oxley chamberlains come back into the team recently and he's been impressive. And obviously Klopp was singing his praises in the press conference after the game. Tyler Morton playing in defensive midfield, plays a full 90 and looks at home in that middle of the park. Have you seen much of Tyler Morton? No. You've been impressed? I've not seen much of him. I saw bits of him last night and he looked looked really comfortable. Um, mm. I put in a great performance actually, but I've, I don't really know too much about him. I don't obviously, not really followed sort of Liverpool's young guns that much or very closely, but... We're looking with Klopp like, I think he's getting to a point where I know, like, obviously, there's there's managers that have had longer term spells at clubs that you could argue have had that are more more impressive. Um, obviously, the Ferguson's that those kind of managers comes to name. Klopp, I just think it's one of the most impressive achievements as a manager what he's done at Liverpool and what he's built there, and he he isn't blessed with with the depth of a Man City or someone like that. And like you said that. He, he can go on and achieve great things this season because the Champions League depth isn't a massive deal. I just wonder now whether Champions League becomes the, the primary focus because, and I'm not saying they're going to step off, take the foot off the gas in terms of the league, but I think that is where Liverpool can find their most success. When it comes to on the night, Champions League nights, and you just need to win over two games, I, I don't think there's many teams in world football that are better than Liverpool. No. And their players have that 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 know how and they know they can do it. They've been there before, though where they won't have any self doubt. They've got Virgil van Dyke back. I mean we'll come back later on in the episode and talk about our favourites to go on to win it, but Liverpool have to be in that conversation. Yeah. Obviously moving on as well in group B, Atletico managed through the skin of their teeth, managed to get through to the round of sixteen, despite losing three games, became second beating Porto 3-1 in a game that I think kicked off. I think there was two red cards to Porto. Um, one to Atletico. Yeah, one to Atletico. I mean, Atletico, I, I'm not. It, it, obviously, the Liga, the La Liga winners last season, but I wouldn't. I'm not too no, they're um, te- optimistic they're a, about them this season. They're a team that uh, is a possible next opponent for United and I would be, won't be too fussed if we, we if we drew them, to be honest. Mm, I think yeah. they're a bit of a. Uh, it's just I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's something about them, especially in Europe. I mean, obviously domestically, they obviously did brilliantly last season. They're not doing as well this season, but it just they just seem like a team. It's sort of like a maybe more like a a different version of a PSG, so to speak. You just feel like you can if you can really sort of get in their heads and sort of rile them up. Then you've won the game sort of before you've even put the ball in the back of the net. I don't know how you feel about them. But they're just so, like, just, just, just so, they're just, it's always low block, isn't it? And it's always just, just negative play. Yeah. They seem to kind of grow into games, but if they don't grow into it, they just, can, the game could just pass them by almost. And like, we've seen it against the likes of Liverpool, where they just kind of, they're just, it's just negative. It's just negative football. And you could argue, yeah, it's just really good defensively. But they've got the likes of yeah, Jao Felix. I mean, he was supposedly one of the the great, the best young talents around. Yeah, he's just not really achieved anything, has he? No. And 
Griezmann, Suarez. I just think so much more I they could think, give. Uh, yeah, Simone Simeone could just get more out of that side, and yeah, I, I wouldn't be putting any any bets on Atletico to go far in the tournament. But fair enough, they got through. Should we move on to Group C now? Yeah, interesting group. Group C. Ajax finishing top, hundred percent record as well. It's the first time two teams have finished with hundred percent records in the group stages ever, with Liverpool and Ajax doing it. Ajax flying under Ten Hag, and obviously you've spoke a lot about Ten Hag and the fact that he he might be the 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 right successor for Ranić if he does move into that consultancy role. Do you reckon are we going to see like with Ajax? Are we seeing another? Like a, 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 like a parallel to what they did before, and are we going to see a load of new youngsters make a name for themselves? I've seen that Anthony at right wing. I don't know if you know more about Ajax than me. Obviously, um, Sebastian Haller. I think he scored ten goals, has he? So yeah. far, yeah, ten goals. Top goal, top scorer. goal scorer. I mean, it's incredible what he's managed to do with his career. Do you think Ajax could could go far? Yeah, I don't see why they can't. I mean. If you're looking on paper, the two best teams in the Champions League so far, Liverpool and Ajax. I mean, obviously, they're, they're a different level of quality, but I mean, the way they've handled that group, it's a, they, they were put in a pretty tough group as well, Ajax. And mm. I mean, Sporting, Borussia Dortmund, Besiktas. Um, they've just absolutely steamrolled every team in there, really. Won every yeah. game, like you say, scored 20 goals, only conceded five. Um, I think they battered Dortmund 4-0, didn't they? a couple of weeks ago mm. and they just look like just the football they play and you mentioned if it'll be sort of like a, a parallel to what they achieved I think it was 18-19 maybe when they nearly got mm. to the final I think it's a bit more of a different dynamic with them this time there's not as much of a sort of core youth influence on the team if obviously you've got people like Haller Tadic mm. um, yeah really good players in there and and then, but you have got that other mix of people like Gravenberg, who looks really good, the the Dutch one, like you say, Anthony. Yeah. Um, uh, they've got like Tali Fico, another sort of um, seasoned pro at the back. Who yeah, I always thought, I always thought he would take maybe like take the plunge and get a move to the Premier League at some point because he always impressed, but it's never really seemed to come off. I think Leicester were linked with him, weren't they, for quite a while? Mm, yeah, we were. I think a lot of teams were, to be honest. I think he was one of those left backs that were. We're on everyone's shortlist, but yeah, I just yeah. maybe the right, the perfect move didn't come about, and I think a lot of players seem to like staying at Ajax. I think it's quite a nice club to become a legend at and yeah, and I mean, leave a legacy, and I think that's clearly what Tagliafico has chosen. With Haller, but but what do you think with Haller? Like, what's happened there? How has he gone from mediocrity at West Ham? I mean, I don't know what his goal scoring record was, but. There was talk about him being good, wasn't there, when he first turned up? But well, they signed I mean, him. For, they signed him for forty million, didn't they? But like, what is that like? If in terms of, I know it's a hypothetical question, and you you wouldn't know without asking him. But what would you put that down to? Is it a confidence thing? Uh, yeah, is it, it must a right be. manager getting the best out of him? Yeah, maybe it's a maybe it's the way he's suited into a different style of play. I mean, and it could well be down to just the manager that that sort of player manager relationship. Uh, maybe just David David Moyes, Pellegrini, the the managers he was under at West Ham, just didn't really trust him enough. I mean, it's no fault of anyone's. I mean, there was no doubt about it. When he played at West Ham, every time I watched him, I was never impressed with him. 
I thought he, oh. would re- I thought he looked quite poor. Was, wasn't surprised when they sold him. And I was also surprised at the amount of money they got for him. I think 25 million. I thought they did well West Ham at the time to get that amount of money for someone like Haller. But like you say, he's gone, and, gone over to Ajax. Ten Hag, he's just bought a new bought a new player out of him, hasn't he? Just that goal-scoring record, though. Ten goals in the group stage. It's just ridiculous. Unbelievable. He he must have been a sought-after player when West Ham went in for him. Yeah. He must have been a player that was on a lot of teams' radar. And then once an Ajax seen that he he wasn't quite at the level for the Premier League or hadn't found his feet, they obviously just took the plunge and knew the kind of player that was in there. And everything, it is all just so circumstantial, isn't it, football? And it, with managers, players, everything, a different set of circumstances, a different surrounding, and you can just unlock a new level of a player. It'd be interesting to see what he can do this this tournament because he will he will start getting into the the conversations for moves away, won't he? If you look at some of the teams that are in need of a striker, it'd be interesting. But I think for now it'd be wise for him to just stay at Ajax and get his goal tally up and just keep improving. It's yeah. good to see. Yeah. So we'll move on now to Group D. It was a group of two halves. This one, Real Madrid, Inter, Sheriff. And Shakhtar Donetsk, and that is the order in which they in they finished. Real Madrid and Inter level on points going into the the final game. I mean, I watched the the Real Madrid Inter game. I know you you didn't get the chance to watch it, but no. Real pragmatic, which we have come to know with Ancelotti, but they were sharp, and that is uh, something we've come to know with Real Madrid. I mean, that midfield three of Casemiro, Cruz and Modric. I mean, I'd be worried if I was a Real Madrid fan. When they go, I would be worried because those three, they just offer so much composure. And you see they just set the tone for the rest of their team. And the commentators were saying it, and it was a good point. Like They're just a manager's dream. Because you know out there, they're almost three managers in their own right. They're three captains out there. And you've obviously got inexperienced players at the back, which we'll talk about. And you've obviously got in it free inexperienced players in front of them, but to have that midfield free, it must just raise everyone else around them. And it's a, it's just a privilege to still watch them play. And I'm just you've just got to appreciate it, appreciate them while they're still here, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I think like the certainly Modric as well, thirty six years old. The age is that. And the level he's still performing at week in, week out on the world stage, international stage. I mean, you've just got to take your hat off to him, haven't you? He's just, he'll go down as one of the greatest midfielders of our generation, without a doubt. Obviously, Ballon d'Or winner. All three of them. All, well, three, all three of them, of them yeah. But um, mm. they've even got a perfect blend of, like you say, it'll be worrying for Real Madrid fans when they do depart eventually. It won't be too too long in the feet, in the distance because they are getting on. There's no doubt about that. But I think with they've got a perfect mix of youth as well coming through. You've got Valverde, Camavinga. I mean, we've still got to see the best of Camavinga in the Real Madrid shirt. I mean, he's not played too much football, especially in Europe. But No, he came on. He looks really, really classy, to be fair, in possession. Yeah. And it seems like they are making... I mean, last week's podcast, I was asking you, is there any comparisons between Barcelona and Real Madrid and the situations? But there just isn't. You can see that... Madrid are still making wise decisions 
I mean, there's, they're both kind of in a similar situation where they had their, their, their focal point of their team moving on and they they were kind of reaching and their crop of players were reaching the end of their, their sell-by date. But Real Madrid have not, they've stayed composed. They haven't just chucked money at a, an ageing player or tried to replace big-name players. They've made sensible decisions and you can see that. You can see there is the new generation coming through. And there might not be. There might be a few that aren't at the level. I mean, I don't know your opinions on. I think Rodrigo played right wing. Jovic played through the middle. Vinicius played on the left wing, and I know Vinicius has has been impressive this season. And he did look good that game. It wasn't. He wasn't firing. I think he's. There's probably been better examples of Vinicius. Vinicius this season. But the likes of Rodrigo and Mariano, Jovic, they seem below the level to me. Um, they didn't have terrible games, but they just didn't seem like Real Madrid players. And it'll be interesting to see who they maybe bring in in the future. Obviously, Benzema was was injured, I think. He wasn't playing, so Hazard, he'll come back. Hazard came but, on, well, didn't he? Hazard came on. What did he look like? And just, just unfit, mate. Like, there's, no, there's nothing else to say, really, with Hazard. I know he's always been a player that's had like wide hips and used that to his advantage, Keep keeping players off him and is using his low centre of gravity but he just doesn't look fit he doesn't look match fit no I just no. don't know what's gone on there I don't know whether it's I mean it's obviously something that he's got to take control of yeah. he hasn't been willing to yet maybe it's a lack just of the, professionalism I mean I, I remember when he be. signed for Real Madrid and then went away on holiday after he left Chelsea after winning the Europa League and he came back something like three kilos overweight I mean there's no and that that would have set it. That would have set the tone for people at the club, for people, teammates. So they thought, oh, well, this can't be, this can't be a good sign for the future. And I mean, he, I know he's had struggles of injuries, but there's there's certain ways of preventing that and minimising the risks as a player of getting injured. And it just never seems like he, he's really busted a gut to sort of get himself in no. prime condition to reduce that risk of injury. And, I think his time well, at Real see, Madrid. Yeah, you look at the players that have been successful in Real Madrid and you've got the players now like Benzema, Cruz, Modric, Casemiro that have clearly just tread their body like temples and have done so to ensure that they have these long, prolonged careers and they haven't had a massive dip as they've got older. Hazard, there's no reason why he... like You watch him and he doesn't look like old. He doesn't look like he's like completely lost all his like his pace or anything like that. I mean, he's not quick, but you can see that he's still got that that shift if he needs it. But he's yeah. just he's not his body just doesn't look in a position to to. I just it's just disappointing, it really is. And is I think you just see it Real Madrid these players that go there. You realize that there is just an elite. It's an elite level, isn't it? That goes above most teams in Europe. Yeah. And even like a Chelsea, they they demand more at Real Madrid. You, you when you're representing Real Madrid, you're on a you're on another level. On to another player that is representing Militao to a an admirable standard. Eda Militao played alongside David Alaba, who also impressed. I've been I was impressed with Militao. Like um, I I haven't seen much of him to be honest. And what I have heard is that maybe he was a little bit rough around the edges, um, showed potential, but hadn't kind of secured himself a first team spot but obviously now with Rafael Varane and and Sergio Ramos moving on he seems to have stepped up to the plate 
and there was a little bit of Ramos about him to be honest. not not Ramos. There was a little bit of Varane about him, a, kind of silky on the ball. He's clearly got a turn of pace. Have you been impressive, Edmund Atal? Do you think he could be that man for the next what ten years or so at Madrid? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I heard really good things about him before they signed him a couple of years ago, and uh, it was it was always going to be difficult for him to sort of ever stake a claim in that team. I mean, with Varane and Ramos, what they've won, the caliber of player they are, it was always going to be difficult. He always had to sort of settle for sort of playing cup games. He was a cup player at Madrid. Played the odd league game. Obviously, Ramos and Varane, they've struggled with fitness issues. Obviously, you've always got suspension issues when you've got Ramos in your team as well. Um, so when he came into the sides, I was I was never really overly impressed with him. I could see there was a player in there. He's got all the he's got all the attributes. He's tall. He's yeah. athletic. He's quick. He's good on the ball. But obviously, you can't really judge a player off the odd game or two every month. But since coming into the team this season. Like you, I've been impressive. I think he looks like he could be that guy to take over the mantle of Varane and Ramos. Um, I think I think Real Madrid could do with obviously Alaba's sort of partnering him, isn't he at the moment? Yeah. Um, is that a thing for the future? Do you reckon? I don't, I don't do you think know. that is more of a, a stopgap. Yeah, I think it, it could be a stopgap. I mean, I don't, I've I've never I do really rate Alaba as a player, but I've just never really been that convinced as a centre back. Especially in a two as well. Yeah, in a three maybe at Bayern. He played in a three sometimes with Sula and Boateng and them sort of players. But you're a lot more isolated in a four at the back. So playing as a two. Now, I just think Militao could really benefit from Real Madrid signing a, a big name defender who, who would really compliment him more. I'm not sure who who we could suggest. I mean, it's... it's a, I think maybe just, like someone, a good maybe a good example would be maybe like a Emmerich Laporte someone he's maybe not had the greatest of Man City careers but his football pedigree was was massive when he yeah. first joined maybe someone like him could be a good, yeah, a certainly, good fit yeah. for Real Madrid yeah yeah or I'd have thought they'd be looking at sort of Kunde from Sevilla yeah. I think there was rumours of that but I think I feel like his next destination's probably going to be the Premier League maybe looking at Chelsea he maybe reminds me a little bit of Alaba as well, to be honest. He's quite slight and quite small, isn't he? Yeah, but I mean, he's, he's a lot that quicker. kind of yeah. Yeah, Alaba's still got time and pace. Though, hasn't oh yeah, no, Alaba's a, Alaba's a world class player. There's no getting away from that. So. Yeah, but um, yeah. but it, but in terms of Militao, yeah, I, I've been I've been impressed with him. Looks like he's assertive. He sort of looks like a bit of a leader at the back now. And I mean, mm. like you say, it's always them cases at Real Madrid. We spoke about it with Benzema recently and sort of coming out of his shell not coming out of his shell almost because he's always been the top top player but when people like Ronaldo left he sort of took on that mantle and maybe that's a case of Militao where he feels like now them big personalities and and well respected players in Varane and Ramos have gone maybe it's given him the confidence to step up and think I know I'm going to be playing every week so let, let me show you why why I should be here and why I, I could be here for the next 10-15 years or so Mm. And and let's be honest, he was signed with the the thought that he would take that role, and if he doesn't take that opportunity now, will it come again? Probably not. And he has fair play to him; he stepped up. In terms of if there's if there's any Real Madrid fans listening right now, do you think they they should be confident? Do you think they should be settled and yeah, that I've, like they're going to be all right for for yeah, for the I next think, few years. I think the future is really bright for Real Madrid. 
I mean, you spoke about Barcelona, and yeah, there is no comparison. I think Barcelona is sort of a, it's a sideways or backwards sort of trajectory for them at the moment. I think Madrid, obviously, they've had they've had better times, they've had better players in there, and they'll they'll have there will be times over the next few years where they won't win things like the Champions League, which they they're used to winning. But you look at the bigger picture, the players they've got coming through the ranks. And then they're obviously going to add to that team. I mean, Florentino Perez, he's not one to sort of put the handbrake on, is he? He's always going to make a, a Galactico signing every sort of year or two. And they'll slowly chip away at adding top world-class players into that team, sort of replacing sort of the old old generation when they need to be. And the players they've got there now, Vinicius, Camavinia, Valverde, Militao, it's, it's, I think it looks really bright for them. I mean, yeah, you could look at like a predicted lineup for next year. You could have obviously Courtois in goal. You could maybe have if if Laporte, someone like Laporte was going to sign, you could have um, Militao Laporte at, at the back, and then you could have Carvalho at right back, Alaba at left back, and then you have that the midfield three that we know of Casemiro, Cruz, and Modric, with with the likes of Camavinga and Valverde coming in when when they need rest, and then obviously the the Kylian Mbappe rumours. They were too strong to not to not happen. I think that yeah. will happen. One well, he's, day. he's not signed the contract. I mean, he's going to go, no. isn't he? And they've obviously they, got. I, I can see that. Talk at the back as well. You forget they've got Ferlon Mendy as well. Another yeah. top player. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And I think Burns, uh, Well, yeah, I think Real Madrid fans should be should be confident, and uh, it's good. We want to see these teams at the top, don't we? Yeah, they, they make the Champions League teams like Real Madrid. Incidentally, we'll move on to Group E now, which does hold Barcelona. Obviously, Barcelona are now down to the Europa League. Four times Champions League winner, Xavi, takes over at Barcelona and he will be managing them in the Europa League. I watched the first half of the game last night and then I watched the second half of the United game. Bayern were 2-0 up by half-time and just cruising, to be honest, and... There wasn't much to say. Barca, they're just, they're just not at the level, and I don't, I don't really, I don't think any manager in charge. I think Xavi's definitely. You can see the positives that he's he's made. They're more resolute at the back, and he, I think he he understood yesterday that it would it would have taken a miracle for them to beat that Bayern team. You can't even, you don't even look like any team could get lucky with Bayern. They, you look at that Bayern side. And I struggle to see any weaknesses. No, like, I really don't. Like it's so hard to pick out a weakness in the team. They've got everything. They're just good on the ball. They can press. They can sit in. They've got every position. They've got pace, power, composure, experience, youth. I mean, this Bayern side, it's looking pretty faultless, isn't it? Yeah, I think I said it before the season. They were my favourites to. To win the Champions League, I think I think the one word that you can always sort of sum up buying in is just they're just efficient at what they do. Yeah. Then it's not always it's not always glamorous football. It's not always it's not always the the, the star men taking the the lead for them, but they just work as such a cohesive and just a strong, effective unit, and they're just like a machine that just keeps on just keeps on ticking. I mean. They're just unbelievable from back to front and the depth they've got as well. 
got players like that. They've got a strong, really strong sort of 15, 16 core group of players. And then yeah. they've even got youth, young players coming through now as well. I think you've got that Omar Richards, um, Michael Cuisance. They've just got a... They're just so strong enough. It's it's again, it's a... It's a sort of a... It's a superiority complex of them. Like, just the Bayern Munich, the name as well. Teams go up against them and it's just sort of the game is sort of won before it's almost kicked off really. I mean, especially when you've got Robert Lewandowski in, in there as well. Mm. I mean, he's always going to score goals. Yeah, but yeah, I'm, I'm just really impressed. Yeah, this, this, they kind of run out of superlatives to describe Bayern, to be honest. And they are 100%, I'm not going to say they're my favourites yet, we'll come down to that at the end of, of the episode. But they have to be in the conversation. They look really and strong under Nagelsmann as well. Yeah, it's that German style of football. This German, just German football at the minute. It really seems to. It's, it's the. It's kind of the trend, isn't it? Yeah. It seems to. Obviously, we see football. It goes through transitions where, to certain points, the the pep ball was the way to play. The ticker tacker. Everyone wanted to play like that, and now we are seeing this. Gagan press, whatever you want to call it, this German style of play, it is the it's the 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 tactic of the moment, and I think we're seeing it, aren't we? All the best managers in world football are coming out of Germany. Nagelsmann is German, is he? Yeah, or from that part of the world, anyway. And then obviously Tuchel, Ralph Rangnick, we're seeing at United, Jurgen Klopp. Do you think? Well, yeah, I suppose I don't know what the question is really, but. That is that just seems to be the the trend, doesn't it, at the moment? Yeah, I mean, people have obviously looked at the models of stuff like Klopp and what he's built at Liverpool, and obviously maybe United have took a bit of inspiration from that and thought, you know what, we've tried everything else, may as well try this one, and hopefully we'll have some sort of similar effect to what he's had at Anfield. But yeah, it seems a way forward, and it's just sort of a, a style and approach that. It, it just seems the most efficient, I think, at the moment in football, and ones that most teams struggle to play against. It utilizes the 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 the, the attribute of a of a modern day footballer as well, doesn't it? Pace, yeah. power, physicality—it's such a huge part of the game nowadays. They're athletes more than football players, first and foremost. And uh, yeah, I think it's just the way to play that just gets the the best out of them. And also, you have to. These kind of teams as well, they're just so well-rounded. Like I watch that Bayern side and they look like it doesn't matter who they come up against. They can adapt their style to to beat them. Whether it's a Man City, whether it's a Chelsea, with, with whatever side, with contrasting styles. They just, they will just come out the better side. Most, ten, nine times out of ten they will. And yeah, they're just, just, just unbelievable, unbelievable. Well, we've got to talk. We can't really move on without talking about Barca a bit more. Going into Europa League, do you think now they're favourites to win the Europa League? I find it hard. When you see the level of what like a West Ham are playing at. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say they're our favourites at all, no. I think you've got West Ham yeah. in there. Obviously, Leicester, if they progress through tonight, another strong team as well. Um, you've got the chances of Napoli being in there as well. I mean, top of the Serie A, really doing well domestically um, yeah it's just it's a sad thing to say but Barcelona just they're just not an elite team anymore they're not 
they've not got a they've sort of lost that they've they've strayed so far away from that sort of elite mindset as well at the club that that ran through them for so many years and they were they were the Bayern Munich of of the last 10-15 years where it was they were just better than everyone else on the pitch off the pitch but it's just all come crumbling down and I I hope Xavi can turn it around it'd be great to see him doing a good job there but it's just he's got such a job on there I mean there's so much work to do I mean that's just that's only on the pitch for him as well he's got to sort that exactly. out it's a mess on the pitch exactly. but it all stems from the top of the club exactly I was going to say it's from the top down isn't it the problems at Barcelona and these are these are issues that I don't think will change until you have a complete just regroup and get the dead wood out in the boardroom and but like they must just I, I mean I don't know the exact way that Barca are ran but they are a very traditional club aren't they and obviously they were founded by like a group of people. Um, I'm pretty sure there was some from from England as yeah, well. That, that's where that the England Barcelona badge comes yeah. onto there. Yeah. The badge. So I think I don't know if it's just they're kind of stuck in tradition Barcelona. I don't know if they just need to bring their 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 they just need to bring their efforts forward. But until they might start making sensible decisions, they they just I just can't see them getting back to any any kind of superiority and I just it's just sad I love Barcelona they were always the team for me that I looked at in Europe and I always enjoyed watching the most and they played football the right way and it's important to say as well that teams have been in worse states than Barcelona like we look at that if you look through that side there are still young players coming through they are still in a position where they can call on players like Xavi ex-players that know the game, know the club inside out, that can bring back some kind of normality to the club. But it's just, you just need to stop making rash decisions. Stop making silly transfers. Make good decisions financially as well as for on the pitch. And they've just got to focus on youth and focus on a slow rebuild now because it's not going to happen overnight. No. They haven't got the money to just fix it like that. They haven't got the pull anymore either, I don't think. And, yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, I've struggled. Ferran Torres, I think, has agreed to go there in January. And has he? £60 million. Pounds. I have no idea where Barcelona have pulled that money from. But that's that just... It looks like... A, and I, I, I've, I've been impressed with Ferran Torres on occasions, but I've never seen a consistent output from him. It seems, again, like just a risky move. Yeah, I and think I Ferran Torres is good for the future. Yeah, I think he's a really good player, but it's just one of them ones as well. Yeah, like they're they're sort of banking on chucking a load of money at a player that isn't yet proven, no. and it's just uh, it's just a lot. It's just a hell of a lot of money to to, to gamble on. I mean, the gamble will pro- most likely will pay off, but first and foremost, they've got to build a core around Ferran Torres. They can't just have exactly have him up, up, up top on their own. Yeah. They just seem weak in the middle of the park, and I don't think Frankie De Jong's become the player that he he had. They would have liked him to become. He just, he just. But again, I think he's just being let down by them around those around him. But they seem to have too many players that offer similar attributes. Yeah, I think, and with, I know that is there is a Barcelona start type of player. I think with De Jong, it's a. I mean, he, he had so many options when he left Ajax. So did as did, De Ligt, Van der Beek. They'd have had so many options, and 
I mean, it did seem like the perfect move for him at the time. The way Barcelona yeah. played football, Lionel Messi was still there, fully in his prime as he still is, and it's just sort of all gone downhill. I mean, it's stuff off the field that's really sort of affected him, isn't it? I mean, Messi leaving, other players leaving as well, all the financial troubles they've got, and he's—I feel sorry for him because he's just sort of been left in there to sort of rot away, and his development stunted as a as a result. Mm-hmm. It's interesting though. I think. Yeah, you you could look at it two ways because, yeah, maybe his development in some in certain aspects in playing like in a good team has has been stunted in certain aspects of his growth. But he must have learned something from from this period of time. Oh, of course. And yeah. he obviously he's he must still be. I don't know his exact age, but he can't be. He must be kind of just in his prime of his career now. Maybe coming into the prime of his career. Yeah, I think he's about twenty four. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a disappointing one because I thought I don't know if it's his name or they just there seems something about Frankie Dion going to Barcelona. It just seemed like a the right move, and maybe one day it will turn out to be the right move. But at the minute, it looks like a long road ahead. Mm. We'll move on now to Group F. Manchester United finishing top of the group. Villarreal and oh, actually we don't know yet, do we? Where the the group's going to finally end up. Obviously, Villarreal versus Atalanta was um, cancelled last night, postponed. I think they're playing yeah. today at three o'clock because of heavy snow. Have you been impressed with Manchester United so far in the Champions League? I mean, I've said to you before that if you've got any optimism left, and obviously it's come back now with, with Ranić, but if you've got any optimism for the rest of the season and achieving something, I think you should attach it to the Champions League because I think this team could do it on a Champions League night. Is that kind of where you're at as well yeah it's, it, yeah it's been a it's been a weird group really as a Man United fan because obviously it started off so badly against young boys and then it, it has really been a majority mate it's just been a it's been a case of scraping through as it as it has it has been as Manchester United as a United fan for the last few years and obviously this time we've been bailed out by by Ronaldo on multiple occasions and but we've got there we've got through and now we can really focus on sort of attacking the round of 16 with a new manager new ideas hopefully by February when when it comes around um, we'll be sort of playing fully in the in Ranić's system and how he wants us to play and we'll look a lot better and I feel a lot more confident but yeah the group's not been it's not been plain sailing by any means I mean we've won the group with a game to spare which you always want to do and fair play to him for doing that but it has been a case of sort of one man has dragged us through that and yeah that was the concerning part but that was under Raleigh and this is now and last night was a good opportunity for a few young lads to get their debuts and create some special moments and memories for people and mm. it was a nice moment wasn't it on commentary of Robbie Savage yeah it was brilliant yeah. his son coming on also yeah nice, Zidane Iqbal as well uh becoming the first British Asian footballer to play in the mm. Champions League. Yeah, Another no, shout out to him. I mean, he was gonna he'll inspire so many kids worldwide for generations now, even if he never kicks a ball for Manchester United again. Yeah, no, it's important. But what so you're you're in a position now where you what you're kind of reserving judgment at the minute. I'm this, just I just want to group you've not there's not much to take from it. So what you're no. saying No what I can take from the group is that we've we've shown some 
sort of fight and we've shown a backbone where we can sort of stick in there and grind out a result even when things were going really badly domestically under Oli. And you're in the hat, that's all that matters. I just want to, yeah, I just want to see how we develop over the next month or two and how we get to play. I mean, I've been impressed with us. I mean, you couldn't, you can't take a lot from last night, the team we put out. And But on Sunday, I was really impressed with United and I just, it's just going to be interesting to see how, I can't make, we can't really make a judgment, can we, until we see how they, how they progress under Ranjik over the next couple of months before the round of 16 comes around but but yeah it's I'm hopeful I mean that is like you say if we want to do something special this season our saving grace is a Champions League and by no means are we the favourites or even in the top three or four favourites but that as long as you're in there still and you've got Cristiano Ronaldo in your team you've always got a chance Who are you looking towards in the next round as kind of a draw obviously there's a few kind of um, draws that hold some kind of remote romantic, yeah, nostalgia, nostalgia, romanticism. Obviously, there's the you could set up the the PSG, the Messi, Ronaldo, Messi, yeah. Messi, Ronaldo. Or I don't want that. Possible, yeah. There's a possibility of Sporting as well. Bruno and Ronaldo going back to Sporting. So we'll go through the potential teams that you could be up against. I'm pretty sure you can't come up against Chelsea. I'm you can't come up against any English team in the. No, no. So you could get Salzburg. You could get. Um, Benfica, yep. You could get Inter, Atletico. Atletico, yeah. If I could pick one, obviously you'd you'd immediately look for the the Sporting or a Salzburg, someone like that. Mm. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see who we get. I mean, I, I I I'd be fairly confident to be honest against all of most of them teams, maybe bar PSG. But I mean, you've seen how United have dealt with PSG in previous seasons. I mean, mm. they're not really they're not really a team that strike it sounds mad to say with the front three they've got but they don't strike loads of fear into me or I think you know like you can beat them like yeah, any, any team knows that you can beat them and you, you can catch those front three on a on an off day or the, there's, there's obvious weaknesses in that team like they're glaring moving on now to group G and it might be a hard one to talk about really but obviously we've got to mention it well, perhaps the group that has grabbed the least headlines, but possibly the most well-contested group. Lille coming top, Salzburg second, Sevilla third, Wolfsburg fourth. Last night, Lille beating Wolfsburg 3-1. Impressive from Lille. Um, I'm not sure when the last time they were in the Champions League was, but obviously coming off the back of winning the league last season, they're almost on a bit of a Leicester run, aren't they? Yeah. And I think it's good for them. I think going into the last last game or the last two games yesterday, any team from that group could have qualified for the next round. So it is Lille and Salzburg going through. Have you got any insight on either team, Lille or Salzburg? I, I, no, not really. I mean, I watched a bit yeah. of Lille last season, obviously, on their sort of running for the league title. Mm. Obviously, you've got Yilmaz in there. I think Angel Gomez got... A couple of assists and a goal last night, so it's good to see him sort of doing well on the on the big stage. But mm. I've not really paid too much attention to that group, admittedly. But um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how Lille sort of. Cause it's such a it, it's so it's such a strange concept, isn't it? I mean, they go and win the league title, and then you're looking at them struggling so much domestically now. I think they're sitting about fifteenth or sixteenth in the league on. Mm. Um, but obviously, that euphoria and of the Champions League being back in it I think the last time they were in it was 2011 I think Hazard and Joe Cole were actually playing for oh, Lille of course yeah I forgot Hazard was at, was at Lille um, yeah 
No, it's a great time for their club. Yeah, but yeah, it's just it's, yeah, it's a roller coaster for them. I mean, it's, it's just be interesting to see how far they can go. You just, I think they're they're just in a point where it is similar to like Leicester, where you are just in dreamland. That next season, yeah, you're just in the Champions League, Champions League nights. It's just there's nothing like it. It's just incredible, and yeah. I reckon the feeling around the club must be special. And they'll be hoping that that might be able to carry them forward, get them maybe through the next round of the Champions League. You never know. They finish top, so they could end up with yeah. a, a favourable draw. But then again, they could end up with the Chelsea are going to be in that unseeded pot. PSG as well. I mean, that is the thing with the Champions League. We talk about getting favourable draws, but there are still huge teams floating yeah. about. That's not already a bad team, is there now? No. It's, uh, like you mentioned, Chelsea. I mean, they've made a real mess of that group there. Well, yeah. We'll go on to Chelsea now. Group H, obviously... Yesterday they were level on points with Juve, weren't they? Yeah. I think they'd they'd scored nine and conceded one, and that one was against Juventus when they lost earlier in the in the group stages. And yeah, they bottled it last night. Juventus finishing top after beating Malmo one nil, and Chelsea drawing away at Zenit three all. Are we seeing now with Chelsea that a team's finding the gaps with Chelsea? Because we've obviously seen at the weekend losing against West Ham. Yeah, they've been conceding a few more goals. Conceded three last night. They're back. They did have a back three of Saar, Christensen, and Aspilicueta. Are they hitting a bit of a a bad patch? No, it's got to be cause for concern. I mean, though all of Chelsea's success in the recent seven or eight months under Tuchel has been built on on the solid foundations from the back and a, and a really really solid defence. And if you look over the last four games. I think they've conceded nine goals. I mean, yeah, yeah it's, there's got to be cause of concern. I mean, I've, I was really concerned actually watching them at at West Ham on Saturday. I mean, take nothing away from West Ham and David Moyes. I mean, they're, they're absolutely fantastic, brilliant to watch, play amazing football. But I was I was concerned at the sort of fragility that Chelsea showed in their defence and their back line. I mean, it's no, not something I've associated them with since Lampard left, really. And it's sort of... It was sort of a, a flashback to Frank Lampard being on the touchline, if you didn't know any better. Mm. And it it wasn't a good West Ham performance either. David Moyes said in his post-match press, post-match press conference, yeah, they weren't that good. They didn't play that great. They, they showed fight and they showed more fight and desire than Chelsea. And that's what makes me think, is it a mentality issue now? Is this a... Like th- that's another thing as well with Tuchel it's all going well at the moment and obviously we've seen how he is with his players he calls his players back out he doesn't doesn't hold back that that can quickly change that like, it's obviously having a positive impact now because they're doing well and it's not too much for them him to call them out on but once it starts going bad and we've seen this Chelsea team before and we've seen the mentality of Chelsea they down tools for their manager and they, they'll sulk and I just wonder whether the the expectations Tuchel has. I mean, he won't take this. He won't accept this. He won't accept every every result. You see him. He hangs on every single result, regardless of whether it's less important or the big games. He he wants to win every game. I'm just looking now on sofa score. Reese James played centre mid. Yeah. In a three-five-two, and Reese James is centre mid alongside Ross Barkley. I mean, I didn't watch the game, but I'd be interested to know how he performed at centre mid. I mean, there's no reason with the attributes that he has got, there's no reason why he couldn't be a centre mid. But yeah, I think in terms of when we're talking about 
potential Premier League winners and potential Champions League winners. The last couple of weeks have been quite sobering for Chelsea and probably Chelsea fans as well because they seemed almost untouchable at one point and they seemed they were probably the favourites to go on and win the win the Premier League but a couple of results now that have gone against them and they have shown those fragilities that you were talking about and they aren't that faultless outfit we we thought they were I don't think no they now face the prospect of possibly Bayern Munich Real Madrid uh, in the next exactly. round I mean their Champions League defence could be coming to a, uh, an end a lot sooner than we imagined I thought Go back three or four weeks ago, and Chelsea were probably my favourites to to win the competition. Even a couple of weeks ago, after they they uh, they put Juve to the sword at Stamford Bridge four 0 I thought, tell you what, this this team just gets better and better. But I think ever since ever since that United game in the league where they drew, they've they've not looked the same. I don't know what happened there, and whether that was I thought that would be just a little blip, and Chelsea just on the, on the day couldn't break United down, but. It seemed to have sort of set into them over the last few games, and even against Watford, I thought Watford were really unfortunate last week to not get anything from that game because Chelsea were poor then as well. And um, mm. it's something that they've got to sort of correct straight away because a little blip can soon turn into a rut. I just wonder as well whether it's kind of individual performances have been masked by the the collective performance, and we know what Tuchel's like. He's so good at creating the side well we've seen what he's done at Chelsea with creating that team and it really is a collective yeah. and everyone's got roles to play and when I saw them against Leicester when they came away to Leicester you saw that everyone knows their roles even it's, it's the most obvious with the wing backs the positions they pick up and it's all just it's a collective and there probably hasn't really been if you look at over the last couple of seasons and the success they had last season there wasn't really that one standout player, was there? Yeah. I mean, when we're talking about, obviously, Jorginho was the one that got the plaudits and got into the Ballon d'Or, etc. Mason Mount was nominated. Kante was nominated. But obviously, Kante's been a big miss this season through injury. And he seems to be struggling to string like a consistent run of games together. But I just wonder now that if we look through this team, and I'm looking purely just on the bench here and into the first, first eleven. You look at the players and there's players here that they haven't been putting the world to rights. I mean, Kai Havertz hasn't achieved any kind of consistency yet. Hakim Ziyech, neither has he. Pulisic, I thought, he is obviously coming back from injury but hasn't seemed to cement his place in the first team yet. Obviously, Werner, it's been well documented, the problems he's had. Saul. Kaku hasn't hit the ground running. Say again. Saul. Saul's struggled. But I'm looking at these players that called, like, really make the difference in games. Yeah. Mason Mount, I think, since Tuchel's arrived, has got the most goal contributions out of any Chelsea player. But I think even he would have liked his stats to be higher. I just wonder if now that the I just think the kind of the collective team that Tuchel's created, and obviously the influence of Chilwell, the influence of Reese James, have kind of masked disappointing performances from some of Chelsea's most important players going forward. Don't know what your opinions are on that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you look at the quality they've got up there: Havertz, Lukaku. You've mentioned them, Werner, uh, Mount. I mean, you go and sign Lukaku for ninety-seven million. Um, yeah, granted, he's been injured for a few weeks, but you expect more than two goals as a return, and I'd, I've not been mm. impressed with him. No, uh, you called that, mate. You did call I that. Mean, I mean, I've always called it. I mean, he's never been suited to the Premier League, really. I don't think. 
And I mean, you, yeah, you know best. You saw him firsthand at United. Yeah, I, I could have saw. Have you seen similar issues at Chelsea that you saw at United? Yeah, I could, I could have. I could have. I predicted this happening way bef- before he signed, even before the rumours started. And I said it's not a good move for him. I just don't think he. I think it's also a mentality thing with him as well. It's he's he's had a tag of uh, when he's in England playing for English clubs as 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 being a bit of a bit of a flop, a bit of a meme, and it's a tag that will follow him around. And I think sometimes these sort of things get to his head. I mean, he he seems like a very sort of self-aware person of things that go on around him, and I think he lets outside noise get to his game too much. But I just feel like mm. the the pace and the pace and frosty of the Premier League. I just don't think it suits his his um, his capabilities. I mean, look at him in Serie A. He's got so much room to run in behind in the defences. It's a lot yeah. slower, so he can sort of... He looked so much better in Serie A with his sort of back-to-goal, his hold-up play, and everyone thought he'd really improve that, and he has. I mean, he's, a, he's still a top striker, but I just, I just never saw it happening for him at Chelsea. I mean, and it's not at the moment. It still could. I mean, I'm not writing him off by any means. It still yeah. could happen. But no. like you say, when you've got them sort of players and Reese James with five goals is your highest goal scorer this season. Reese James with five assists is your top assister at this season. I mean, mm. It doesn't make for great viewing. Fair play for Reese James and it's great to have these offensive modern day fullbacks that can do a bit of everything and chip in with goals. But at the same time, it's masking the problems that they've got up front and now maybe mm. these these players, Chilwell's injured, James maybe had a bit of a drop off in the re- recent weeks. Yeah, but there's definitely we're looking through that team. There's definitely players that have a point to prove. Obviously, we'll, I want to ask you about one more thing. We've actually ended up going a lot longer than I expected this episode, but there was a lot to talk about. Obviously, this Jude Bellingham stuff. Uh, obviously, after the game, I just want to know your opinions on it really because it is a it's a interesting debate. Obviously, at the end of, I think it was the game between Bayern Munich and Dortmund. Yeah. Bayern winning 3-2, am I right? Yeah. Um, and I think there was some dodgy handball calls or something. So a quote. This is the quote that he said. Bellingham said in, a, in, a, in an interview, you give a referee that has match fixed before the biggest game in Germany, what do you expect? So he's hinting at possible match fixing. Um, and he's now ended up being kind of, demonised in the in the media or maybe not in the media but he's getting punished he, he might be getting a fine obviously with footballers for so long we've said that they're like robots in in interviews and the young the younger players coming through seem to have a lot more freedom in what they're saying and yeah. a lot more opinion therefore obviously certain things like this are bound to happen i just wondered what your thoughts on it really were and is it just a sign of immaturity from bellingham do you think he was within his rights to say something like that and do you think he's right to be punished? Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm all for sort of honesty and it's a breath of fresh air when players come out and give honest interviews. But I think there's a certain line, despite your views on anyone, or on the referee, their performance, their history. And at the end of the day, it's their profession. They've got a job that pays their wages. And I think it was out of line by Bellingham, personally. I think mm. no matter what he says, there was them comments were, were not needed I mean they weren't going to change the effects of the game the game had finished Bayern Munich had took the three points home him him saying that was only going to ever get, to get him in trouble I mean that yeah. was, it's never going to get a penalty back never going to give his team a penalty I mean the game's finished um, 
it is immaturity. I mean, I really like Jude Bellingham. He seems like a really nice down-to-earth lad and seems like he's come from a great family, great background. And I think he's an amazing player, but I think, yeah, I think he steps over the line with them comments. I mean, whether he has been, whether that is the 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 facts or not, and he has been, yeah, he has been found for match fixing before. But there's just certain things that you just just shouldn't. Yeah, say it to your teammate, say it to your manager, uh, moan about it all you like behind closed doors. But on national television, worldwide television, probably wasn't a good look. But I also think I also think the club are, are at fault here as well. I mean, putting an 18 year old out there in yeah. front of the media after is the emotions are still raw he's obviously not thinking dead straight he's angry and they, they could have put someone else out there Marco Royce the captain Matt Hummels put someone else out I, there yeah I was going to say that, that it does that was literally exactly what I was going to say like it it just opens up another debate doesn't it because you obviously see I think is it United have not put Greenwood after they in front of the media yet uh, I'm right. wrong. I might be wrong in saying, but I think why would you put Drew Bellingham in front of the these these the media? I just think it's just mistakes are going to happen, aren't they? And no, and yeah, it's just it's just not needed. And it, it like you said, it, it causes Bellingham more issues than it than it helps. And yeah. I think with Bellingham, it's tough because he's in this position where he's had his kind of life accelerated and he's treated like an adult, which he is, but. He's still very young, and he's 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 expected to be adult in his performances, and the way he carries himself. But at the end of the day, he's still a, a young guy that's trying to figure things out. And sometimes you can step over the line a bit, yeah. or sometimes you can be a bit narrow-minded in what you were saying. But I think, yeah, I agree that he. Poss- it's a tough one, really, isn't it? Like, I'm not sure if he stepped over the line I think in terms of media the way he carried himself in the media he probably did and it wasn't necessary but I think I'd more look like you were saying I look more at the club and the responsibility they've got and let's just not put him in front of the media straight after a game the adrenaline's pumping I mean that's probably the biggest game he's played in his career so far yeah right yeah no interesting take on that Um. so that is the end of the group stage episode whatever you want to call it the review Westy I want to get your standout player from the Champions League group stages and your predictions to win the tournament it doesn't have to be a got like two the best standout player. players yeah Sebastian Haller yeah. Um, and Cristiano Ronaldo fair enough fair enough it's not a bias it's just no no you can't He's... argue really with yeah. the, the importance of the goals he scored um, and then favourites to win I'm going to go by Munich very closely in second, Liverpool. All right. I'm going to go my standout player. My standout player is going to be a player that's actually gone out of the Champions League. We'll be playing in the Europa League. Christopher Nkunku of Leipzig. Been really impressed with him in the group stages. I think he looks like a kind of a complete midfielder. And I think he's a player that we will see in the Premier League or with someone like the Bayerns or the Real Madrid in years to come. So yeah, that's that's my player that's impressed. Um, prediction to win. It's boring, but I can't see any see past Bayern Munich. I think Real Madrid might go further than people are giving them credit for, and I think Liverpool, like you said, will be in the conversation. But yeah, that is my prediction. So yeah, it's been an enjoyable episode, Westy. We've had a lot more to talk about than I expected, to be honest. 
Yeah. Have you enjoyed today's episode? As always, mate. Never don't enjoy them. Yeah, brilliant. Best best day of the week, isn't they? In, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Took the words out of your mouth, mate. You sure did. Yeah, thanks for joining me, mate. Thanks for having me. No worries, no worries. Well, yeah, thanks for joining us, guys. If you enjoyed the podcast, give us a follow um, on whatever podcast provider you're using. Follow us on Instagram at Divided Opinion if you want to see daily content, match reports, articles, etc. Yeah, thanks for listening and we'll speak to you next week.